0: Welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. So if you have a Bible today, come with me to the book of Genesis. And I do really want to take some time this morning to talk to you about economic overflow and I realise that the moment and the preacher of the pastor starts to talk about money in church that all sorts of kind of different responses can be ignited on the inside but I just first and foremost want to say this to you, uh, I don't um, talk about these kinds of things out of necessity nor out of a whim. Um, I spend time praying and seeking God on what is important for His people and uh, I am actually not that pastoral. No. You probably, most of you already know that. J- just for the s- small amount of you that don't, I probably need to explain explain that. that The, the word pastor has been um, overused in the body of Christ, obsessed of, actually. It only shows up twice in Scripture. And in those two occasions that it shows up, it's talking about the shepherd leader. Uh, but... Um, as a result of that, there are these certain expectations that comes upon people like myself that when it comes to this moment of teaching, we should just keep loving, nurturing and making everyone feel comfortable and warm. Um, It's it's not a very empowering thought. Uh, When you look at the job description that I've been given by the Apostle Paul, he said that I should teach, I should have a doctrine that is sound that I should watch over my doctrine and that through that doctrine I should do three things. And they're not very nice things. Only one of them is kind of nice. Uh, it is <coughs> correct, rebuke and exhort. So you are going, oh, gosh, he's setting us up. He's going to start rebuking, <laughs> correcting us and then at the end we might get a little bit of Exhortation. <laughs> But the reality is is that we grow and develop and we prosper in life to the degree that we're able to transform our thinking. And uh, as a result of that, the pastoral influence kind of wants to shy away from the things that equal correction and rebuke. Rebuke is kind of like stop in your tracks right there before you go any further. You need to know that the way you're going leads to destruction and if you don't change, you can't blame me or God. That's kind of like the whole notion around it. I'm not going to go there today because I don't have many friends (laughs) uh, and I'm not about to lose any more today. Whereas correction is kind of... hey. I understand how you end up thinking that way, but you know what? I'd, I'd like to show you a different way because this would really lead to a life of a greater satisfaction and, and progression and prosperity and I'd love you to go on that track. So you'll hear some things today that might, whatever, but just kind of go with the second zone just there. I just want to show you a better way. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, and so we're going to go to Genesis chapter 26, I believe. I'm feeling like I could preach, I think, Uh, Francia, you just started it. I I love someone who has the brains and the anointing in those moments. I just love the whole definition and then the illustration because I don't think any one of us should remember that for the rest of our... uh, Sorry, reverse, (laughs) reverse. I don't think anyone should forget that. For the rest of their life, that that you really have on the inside of you, God, strength, power, and authority to the degree that doesn't matter what's coming against, you're stronger than it. Right? Turn to your neighbour one more time and say, "You're no marshmallow." Uh, disclaimer: Some of you act like it by the football teams you choose to follow. Anyway. <laughs> Forgive me, Father, I've sinned for a second time in the last three minutes. Genesis chapter 26 and verse 1 is where we're going to start. I want to talk to you about economic overflow for you. That's my E-O-F-Y acronym for this year. And it starts in verse 1 by saying, A severe famine now struck the land as had happened before in Abraham's time. That's interesting, don't you think? Whenever there is economic downturn, it's no new thing. It's happened before and it'll happen again. It's like the cycles of life. So Isaac, who is Abraham's son, moved to Gerar. Now you've got to know that Gerar is the place of denial for both Abraham and Isaac. It was at Gerar that they denied their wives. They lied about the fact that they were married to their wives because they were scared that because they were so beautiful that they'd get killed so that someone else could take their wife. There's nothing by chance in Scripture when you look at it in this sense because in this place of denial, which is also in the natural a place of abundant produce, it was a rich pastoral area. You can't forget those two things where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give you all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations, nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements commands decrees and instructions can i remind you this morning that the love of god is unconditional it's unconditional you either either receive it or reject it but it's unconditional however the promises of god are conditional they require faith and action And I guess sometimes we just don't want to look at that reality as we'll walk along with God, but it is a reality. God loves you unconditionally. It's up to you whether you receive that love or reject it, but nonetheless, He loves you unconditionally. But the promises of God are conditional. They require faith and action. The next few verses from 6 to 11 just deal with the story of, of Isaac denying uh, that he's married to this woman and kind of deceiving Abimelech and it goes on. So we we'll slip down to verse 12 because I want you to see this verse. This is a powerful verse. Now you've got to remember that Abraham, his father, was a wealthy dude. He had livestock, he had servants, he had land, he had estates, he was wealthy. You've got to remember that because now you're looking at Isaac, his son, and this is what it says. Then Isaac sowed in that land. What was the land? Gadah. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper, continued prospering until he became very prosperous. It would be my prayer for you, regardless how this financial year is ending, this would be my prayer for you, that the rest of your walk with God upon this earth would be an experience like Isaac's that if you have not yet begun prospering that in the next financial year 2020 you would begin prospering and that you would continue prospering until you became very prosperous. It would be my prayer, my desire that your walk with God would go to the depth of spirituality, that it's not just about a worship experience on the weekend, not about great fellowship at Connect Group only, but it would also be about the fact that you would inherit land without debt. That you would begin prospering, continue prospering and become very prosperous. To do that, you're going to have to be educated in the financial realm. You're going to have to know things like money follows, it doesn't lead. It follows service and goods. It follows ideas and creativity. In today's world, it also follows fame and criminal activity, just to be honest. (laughs) But it doesn't last long in both of those categories. It's interesting to note that today, 90% of millionaires in America are first-generation millionaires. That means they've come from nothing to where they are today to be millionaires. Out of the other 10%, only 3% are elite sportsmen or uh, artists, actors, singers. So just 7% of millionaires in America today are what we would call old money. See, you've been told uh, that you've got to have money to make money. Wrong. Wrong. You've been told that all the rich people had it it just handed down to them from their parents. Wrong. Actually, just like Isaac here, he, he could have inherited wealth from his father, but it seems that Abraham had enough now to say, no, son, you go off and you learn the ropes yourself because there is an inheritance and I'm gonna pass to you, but you don't qualify to receive it until you prove that you can be faithful in the little things yourself. There was a good opportunity for a hand clap and massage my ego just a little. Go on, help me out. And so I think it is powerful to understand what the Bible says regarding money. In the kingdom of God, money is used by God to qualify you or disqualify you for the anointing. Luke 16, verse 10 from the Passion Translation, the one who manages the little he has been given with faithfulness and integrity will be promoted and trusted with greater responsibilities. But those who cheat with the little they have been given will not be considered trustworthy to receive more. If you have not handled the riches of this world with integrity, why should you be trusted with the eternal treasures of the spiritual world. As we enter into a brand new financial year 2020, I want to encourage you to prepare for economic overflow, to prepare for the prosperity that God has planned for you and I think there are four things that you need to do. Number one, reset. Number two, refocus. Number three, redesign. And number 4 remerge. Can we look at those things? Reset, refocus, redesign and remerge. Firstly, number one, reset your spending plan. I know some people call it a budget, but it just does something negative in my brain when I call it that. So I call it a spending plan. And don't think cheaper, think bigger. Now come on, help me. Don't think cheaper, think bigger. Let me give an example of that. Instead of going out every week to that economical restaurant that you go to, oh. is that a restaurant, or a distribution point for fat and acid? Anyway, uh, sorry, so Forgive me. Forgive. Jesus, help me back on track. Let, let, let me give it. Instead of going once a week to whatever it is that's affordable, don't go every week, go once a month and go to that place you've always wanted to go to and, and don't look at the right hand side of the column where all the numbers are, look where the taste buds start to salivate and go to the one that's most attractive to you and order it with toppings and sides and desserts and a good red and a good white, whatever. Don't think smaller, don't think cheaper, think bigger. A number of years ago, a tradesman said to me, I'm not wealthy enough to buy cheap. And needless to say, I stopped in my tracks and went, "Mm." it made me think. I was in the zone of watching them or talking about them buying the most expensive power tool in the location. And in my mind, I was thinking, don't go there, go there. But what they were saying to me, no, no, I've learned through the experience of life that I'm not wealthy enough to buy cheap. I, I can buy that cheaper power tool, but I know it's gonna let me down sooner on the job and it could cost me the profit that was in that job and I'm gonna be replacing that one sooner than I'll be replacing that one. So I'm gonna wait a little longer and buy the decent thing. And so when we talk about resetting our spending plan, And and a whole bunch of guys just thought, i got licence right now to go home and talk to my missus about buying. (laughs) Oh, guys, anyway, use it if you want to. It's your life on the line, not mine. You've got to think about the bigger picture. And when thinking about the bigger picture, here's the number one mistake most people make concerning their income, is when their income increases, so too does their spending. But we've got to be the people that are brave enough and I'm about to present something to you that might be a little bit tough to swallow, but we've got to be the kind of people that are brave enough to live on 70, not a hundred. What? Yeah, I, I just love the 10, 70, 10, 10 principle. I think I, others may have taught it as the 70, 10, 10, 10, or I may even mention it in that realm before, But but I live on the the 10 70 10 10 principle my first 10 goes to honor the lord the next 70 i live on then out of the 20% that's left 10 goes to savings and 10 goes to investment now for most of us that are living in a different zone right now it could take you all of the next year to make this shift and that is okay but if you make the shift, I, I want to tell you, you will transform your financial future and the future of generations to come. 10 to honour the Lord, 70 to live on, 10 to save. And the great thing today about that saving thing, because you know what? Right now I'm causing some of you go, ah, I not talk about this and others on, yeah, talent. that's what I'm doing, it's great, it's working. And then there's others in between. But here's the reality, if you think, oh, I'm just trying to get by right now and you're telling me to live on 70%. But you know on the savings zone, how, how many people are employed by an employer here this morning? Can I see your hands nice and high, just nice and high across. Here, here's the cool thing that most, most of us don't even get thankful for. But the reality is concerning savings, you've already got your employer saving 10% of your income for you. It's called superannuation. Now I'm not saying you should leave it at that, but, but right now, if you think, oh, I'm looking at this and, and moving, oh, you know what? At least you can say, that's sorted. For now. Now I'd encourage you as, as life goes on to find more to put aside and take some more control. But that's sorted and you can move into the next zone. When it comes to investment, where do I invest? Can you give me advice? No, I'm no good at advice. But, but I will say this, out of that 10% of investing, you know, some of us, you just like, it's too soon for you to invest. So instead of investing in something that has risk, invest in something that has no risk for your future. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here's what you should. Take the 10%, invest into this. No risk. Well, there are some risks for some of you, but anyway, we'll move on for that. Uh, (laughs) I think I had a naughty pill this morning. I think I might have had two. Uh, But invest into this, educate this for where you were going. Do that work and then as you're in that discipline of putting that aside to educate this, I guarantee you along the way you'll discover the thing that's worthwhile investing into. Number one, reset your spending plan. Number two, refocus your income goals. God has a place of provision for you. And let me say that your family home is not your place of provision. Let me say that We have all been lied to about the great power of owning your own home through a mortgage. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but let's just keep it in the zone of what it is. It's your family home. Do you want to know the origin of the word mortgage? It it comes from two Latin words. One word is mort. Where we get mortuary from, it means dead. And the other one is gauge, where we get the word pledge from. If I translated it in literal terms to you, it would mean pledge until death for debt. That's what it means. So re- refocus your income goals. What are you saying, Claude? Get rid of the house? No, I'm saying reduce debt, reduce debt, reduce debt, reduce debt. I'm saying you got anything left over, pay that thing off. Don't don't let it be that death until debt until death engagement that the financial world wants it to be because on their side of the income ledger, that's an asset, not a liability. Hello, somebody. Am I helping you? Reset your spending plan, refocus your income goals. You can do it. And number three, I would say redesign your income vehicles because you have an income vehicle. It's your work, it's your business, it's your career, it's your online deal that you're getting set up. Whatever it is, redesign your income vehicles. And I would encourage you, especially if you're in business today, break free of the old mindset of high turnover, small margins. Break free of that thinking. Don't be the kind of person that thinks I've got to go for this high turnover, small margin approach. Guess what? That has high risk attached. I'd go for high margins, small turnovers of sales, large profit, small team. Reset your spending plan. Refocus your income goals and redesign your income vehicles. Right now, I'm studying something, which means I'm watching YouTube. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm studying something called automatic income vehicles. It's intriguing, I like it a lot. Because it's setting up a business that makes money while you're asleep. I'm thinking, if I could get one of those things off the ground properly, replace my salary at the church, Raise more over and above, how quickly could I achieve my one million souls goal? Put it towards that kind of spiritual enterprise and purpose. I don't know what your goals are. And you know what? I think that just took the judgment element out of it because I'm not talking about buying the bigger car, the better car, the better house, other clothes, whatever, (laughs) I don't care. I can do Tajay, no problems. But to be able to put that financial energy into that spiritual goal at a higher rate, how good would that be? I don't know what you might be studying, but I would encourage you to redesign your income vehicles. Do you really want to be an employee for the rest of your life? If you're happy with that, great. That means you're going to work when you're told, take holidays when you're allowed And retire at 65 on a much smaller portion of your income and if you're cool with that plan great and and many of us are right but accept it now and make the plan back here so that when you do retire this thing's out of the way so you can actually enjoy is that okay if that thought makes you feel deflated you need to know it's never too late You're never too young and you're never too old. Come on, help me a little bit. Never too young. You can study this guy for yourself. Have you heard of him? His name uh, will come up right there. It's called, his name is Jack Bloomfield. He lives in Queensland. He's 16 years old. You may have seen the report this week, but you can study it yourself. This is his statement that he made on a news report this week. The traditional school system is failing the future entrepreneurs of Australia. How do I know? Because I am one. I turned 16 years old this year and I've been launching and running e-commerce business since I was 12. Businesses that now turn over millions of dollars every year. And I can honestly tell you that my schooling hasn't contributed in any way towards any of the companies I've built to date. Don't get me wrong, school is great for the fundamentals, but once you learn how to multiply, divide, speak and spell, the value suddenly stops for those of us who want to walk an entrepreneurial path. There's nothing in today's education system that focuses on anything even vaguely entrepreneurial. Instead, we lock kids into a 12-year school system designed only to earn them a place in a university, yet another institution for yet more study until finally about 16 or Even 18 years later, you're ejected out of the other side, tens of thousand dollars in debt and looking for a job. It's never too late. You're not too old and you're not too young. This guy, 16, in fact, I think by the time they did the interview on this last few days, just gone. He's 17 years old, turning over millions of dollars from businesses that he started at 12. And how did he do that? By watching YouTube clips, (laughs) believe it or not. Driving a brand new BMW to school with pea plates on the back that I'm sure many people are looking across and going, oh yeah, daddy bought it for you. And they know not the truth. And now being asked to speak around the world on business coaching for entrepreneurs at 17 years old. You say, Claude, that's okay for the young ones. They've got energy. But what about me? I'm entering that 65 plus zone. Well, you know, Colonel Sanders, who started the KFC mega industry, one of the best and most successful franchises, he didn't start that business until after he retired. I think he was 70 years old and built it into a multi-million dollar corporation. You're never too young, you're never too old. Are you getting something? Turn to your neighbour and say, I can't wait for this guy to finish. <laughs> Did I say I was gonna give you four things or five? Oh, can I add an extra one? Uh, Cause I can't count my own points, I've got five. It's like the Italian foreigner that had been here a few years and he'd gone to work and someone said, go home your day go. <laughs> it's a true story. Go home your day go. And he says, which home you want me to go to? I've got five. <laughs> J- jokes people, you know. <laughs> Number four, recreate your future. You can actually recreate your future right now because if you stopped and propped for a moment, you could probably write out the outcome of your future based upon what you know. But you can recreate that future right now. It'll take time, it'll take energy, but you need to stop working at the hard things and start working hard at what comes easy to you. It's the biggest mistake that can be made by any of us is we, we see a weakness, we see a gap in our life and we think oh, i just got to work hard to raise that, that gap, that weakness up. But no, 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 you need to work harder at the things that come easy to you. And you can staff your weaknesses. Even if you're not an employer, you can employ someone to fix your weaknesses. You've got to be honest with yourself though. If you're going to recreate your future and work hard at what comes easy, you've got to know what you're very good at. What are you very good at? What are you passionate about? Where can you add the most value in someone's life? Remember, money follows, it doesn't lead. Understand that who you work for is more important than what you do. They're all the things that people that make the money, control the money, don't want you to know. You do realise today that in the world's population, 95% of the world's population works for 5% of the world's population. In fact, we are told that the numbers are a lot tighter than that, that 97% of us that work, work for the 3%. And the difference between the 3% and the 97% is interesting. <laughs> Very. Google it. Recreate your future. Who you work for is more important than what you do. In other words, you can work for certain companies and individuals that have already created the space and the opportunity for your large desire to grow but if you're in a place where there is no room and no opportunity and people aren't thinking about how to create opportunity and space for you to grow and advance and to climb, then it would be great to believe God for a larger space to work. Number five, here it is, we're coming into land. You got, a, you got one extra, how's that, bonus day? Re-emerge, re-emerge tomorrow with faith, motivation and intentionality. That it's important. You need to know that the, re, the word "remerge" means to cause, to combine and unite. And very specifically, I do feel like God spoke to me about the fact that we're in a climate right now where the enemy is trying to shut out faith because he knows the power of faith. Can I remind you of the power of faith? I believe we've got it on the screen behind me. It comes from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 in the Amplified Version. This is what it says. Now faith, now faith, not tomorrow faith, not yesterday faith. Now faith is the assurance, that is the title deed or confirmation of things hoped for. That means divinely guaranteed. And the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. I love that, don't you? Faith. I love it. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. We are not people who walk by sight, we walk by faith. I loved it in our prayer meeting this morning, we were reminded that as Christians, we are not thermometers, we are thermostats. Any old individual with a heartbeat can be a thermometer and pick up on where the temperature's at. But it takes someone filled with the power of God to decide I'm going to be the thermostat and I'm going to set the atmosphere of my life. I'm going to get and set the tone of my financial future. I'm going to put my faith towards God. That faith towards God is going to cause me to have faith in myself. I don't know about you, but I came to a realisation in my walk one day with God where I realised that I didn't just have to believe in God, i got to believe in God in me, which means Believing in myself. My, my Bible says, Do not cast off your confidence, which has with it great reward. Yeah. Yeah. Faith in God, faith in yourself, faith in the organization that you work for, whether it's your business or somebody else's business. I have faith in my boss, I have faith in the organization. I, mean, I have faith in the product, the service, what we do. There's no such thing as believing in God, believing in yourself, And then my boss is a pinhead. Why would you work for a pinhead? This organisation sucks. Well, why would you work for a sucky organisation? Why would you do that? How, how could you? Like you're supposed to go to work and pray for your boss and pray for the business you work in. Whether it's yours or somebody else's, how could you put faith in that? You gotta faith in God, faith in yourself, faith in your boss, faith in the business. And then finally, I think you gotta have faith in economic overflow. I decided a couple of months ago, I'm not having winter. And I haven't had it so far. Got the injection, thank you Jesus. Smart thing to do. Only blew my nose once or twice for a couple of days. Please, Jesus, don't test me this week and give it to me because wouldn't be cool for my message. <laughs> oh, I, I made a decision. I'm not having winter. And I'm not participating in any recession. Not getting involved. I'm going to be in the economic overflow zone. I'm going to honour God with desires and offerings. I ain't going to rob God. I know that He does not bless thieves. I'm going to honour Him and I'm going to be anointed for what I do, not just gifted, which takes too much to explain. I'm going to touch on it tonight as we look at being anointed for business. There's a lot of Christians in the marketplace and people think they're anointed, but they're just gifted. There's a difference between being gifted and anointed. And once you get that anointing on you, (coughs) everything is like that marshmallow. There's a force that flows. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you today that during this moment, this time of practical, pragmatic teaching on biblical economics, prosperity, that God, you've unlocked some tips and tools that we can dig into further and really be empowered in 2020 to actually live in the zone of economic overflow. And God I pray for everyone here, those listening by web or podcasts, that God we would be able to grasp what your Word says to us in these areas and apply it in our lives so that we could experience what Corinthians says, that we would be self-sufficient in all things and able to get involved in every good work and charitable donation. I thank you that God, you are a God who manifests jubilee in our lives. You wipe out debt, you restore land and you bring freedom into our life. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 95245055.